Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Russian President Vladimir Putin has these cold, piercing eyes. They're the kind of eyes where it seems like they can see right through you, like he knows what you're afraid of. Putin used to be an agent with the KGB, the Soviet Union's notorious security agency. He's been in power for two decades, and he has Russia's elite wrapped around his little finger. He's a master at manipulating people's weaknesses. It's even something he does in his free time. Putin is a black belt in judo. He's been competing since he was in his early 20s, and he still likes to show off his sparring. In judo, your opponent is right in front of you, but the threat can feel invisible. You can feel in control of the fight one second and then find yourself sprawled on the floor the next. This is a mentality he brings to politics, too. As president, Putin has had two main goals, to restore Russia's status as a great power and to ensure that at home, he faces no challengers. He's got the Russian security services at his command. His political opponents have been imprisoned, shot, and poisoned. The organizers of any provocations threatening the fundamental interests of our security will regret their deeds more than they've regretted anything in a long time. To stand up to Putin, you have to be extraordinarily brave and also exceptionally confident, self-assured almost to the point of delusion. I understand how systems work in Russia. I understand that Putin hates me. That's Alexei Navalny, Russia's leading opposition figure and a perpetual thorn in Putin's side. His anti-corruption movement has inspired hundreds of thousands of Russians to take to the streets and protest Putin's vice-like grip on power. But in August of 2020, something happened that made it clear he'd poked the bear one too many times. This is breaking news now. One of the most outspoken critics, or the most outspoken critic of Russian President Vladimir Putin, has been rushed to a Siberian hospital, the victim of a suspected poisoning. I'm Clarissa Ward, CNN's chief international correspondent. In my time as a journalist, I've watched Vladimir Putin do everything he can to hold on to power. Like many people, the moment I heard about Navalny's poisoning, I immediately suspected the Russian state was responsible. But who would ever be able to prove it? At the Russia Commando at Ravila Navalny, was it your team that poisoned Navalny, please? This is Tug of War, Episode 2, Russia. It's August 20th, 2020. 
Alexei Navalny is finishing up a political tour in Siberia. He wakes up in a hotel in the city of Tomsk. I remember I even woke up before my alarm started to ring. He's ready to head back home to Moscow, so he packs up and takes a taxi to the airport. About 20 minutes after takeoff, he starts to feel strange. Very difficult to describe and impossible to describe because it's not something you are uh, experienced in your life. He isn't in pain exactly, but he feels this deep sense of dread. Lifting his hand and controlling his movements, it all takes an unusual amount of effort. I go to the bathroom just because I was sweating all over. So I tried to wash myself. I thought maybe I will feel better, but it was getting worse and worse and worse. Navalny turns to the flight attendant for help. He knows he sounds crazy, but he also has no doubt about what's happening to him. I said to him, I was poisoned, I'm gonna die. I lay down under his feet and to, to die. With Navalny on the floor, a passenger starts recording video on their phone. For three minutes, I was listening some noises, some people, they were frightened. They tried to uh, cry me and not fall asleep, not fall asleep, don't, don't pass out. But then it's just, I just blacked out. When Navalny was poisoned, I was with my family at my parents' house. And my mom came to my room, woke me up and told, uh, they poisoned him. And I was like, what? What's happened? This is Natasha Zamorskaya. She's a 27-year-old campaign manager who lives in Moscow. She's worked for lots of local candidates in opposition parties, pushing similar agendas to Navalny's. She's followed his career, and he's inspired some of her political work. She remembers August 20th vividly. I was just sitting on my bed and thought, okay, that's the end. I need to collect everything. I need to take my passport. I need to leave. For Natasha and other opposition activists like her, this news was devastating. Could the opposition survive without him? Was it all over? We all were so scared. We were following the news every minute. I was scrolling my Twitter and I was like, okay, please let, let him leave. Do anything you want, but let him leave. He can't die right now. Natasha first heard about Navalny when she was a teenager in 2011. At the time, he was a lawyer and an activist. She found him on LiveJournal, where he was blogging about corruption among members of the Russian elite. He was the first one who just grabbed all the internet, and his content was very cool. He was so powerful in the internet, he was a star number one. Привет, это Навальный. Поговорим о деньгах. He started his own YouTube channel, which gave people an alternative to Russian state media, which is basically Kremlin propaganda. In one of his most famous videos, he flew a drone over the home of former Prime Minister Dmitry Medvedev, accusing him of embezzling more than a billion dollars. Palaces, residences, and ancestral estates, yachts and vineyards in Russia and abroad, 
we will show you Medvedev's real property, and you'll see for yourself that he's one of our country's richest people and one of its most corrupted officials. For what it's worth, Medvedev's spokesperson has called the video propaganda. Navalny's videos are serious, but they're also funny. He does things like Photoshop a picture of Putin's face onto a picture of Dr. Evil. Think John Oliver, but with a political agenda. Clever, honest, and brave. Brave was a very popular description for him. Sometimes people said he has big balls. I found Navalny to be like a steamroller. There's no real compromise with him. He knows what he wants, and his eyes never waver from the prize. His self-belief is unshakable. But to many, that's part of his appeal, too, this toughness and determination. Frankly, I'm not sure you could stand up to the Kremlin without that. Putin began his third term as president in 2012. In the weeks leading up to his inauguration, there were huge protests in Moscow. Navalny was there making speeches. And so was Natasha. When it was the beginning of protests in Moscow, it was, it was fun. There were people singing songs. Sometimes they were shouting different stuff. And that was just a kind of party you were joining. Natasha wasn't afraid at the time, but there were some protests that turned violent. Resentment was building, particularly among young people. People are tired that they have nothing to eat, they have no place to live. They're tired of living below the poverty line, while the people they pay to rule wisely are swimming in gold. I want the people to be in charge instead of the corrupt officials in power. Navalny was arrested for protesting in 2012 and would be again and again. As his star rose, so did the Kremlin's attacks on him. In 2013, Navalny was charged with embezzlement for allegedly stealing $500,000 of timber from the state. He says the charge is trumped up. I'd like to add here that this is a classic Putin move. One of the ways he consolidates power is by jailing anybody who threatens him. After five years in court, Navalny got lucky at his sentencing hearing. The judge put him on parole instead of in prison. But because he was found guilty, he was barred from ever running for president. It's true one of Putin's goals in this trial is to stop me from being involved in politics. But this law only exists in Putin's system. And our goal is to destroy Putin's system. Navalny campaigned for a boycott of the 2018 presidential election, crisscrossing Russia, railing against corruption and Vladimir Putin, mobilizing activists and putting himself in danger. My colleague Matthew Chance interviewed him that year. Have you accepted that, that you could be killed for this? Anyone who is engaged in opposition activities in Russia can be arrested or killed. This thought gives me no pleasure or joy, I assure you. But it's a simple choice. You can be silent or you can speak. Taking into account all the risks, I continue my work. After the break, 
we get to the bottom of what really happened to Navalny on that plane. This is absolutely terrifying. I don't know if, if terrifying is a good word. I think it's a pretty good word. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This is Tug of War. I'm Clarissa Ward. Let's return to the morning of August 20th last year. Navalny, 30,000 feet in the air, lies crumpled on the floor. The plane makes an emergency landing in the city of Omsk. Paramedics on the runway inject him with atropine, which is used to treat nerve agent and pesticide poisoning. In the intensive care unit, he's put in a medically induced coma. But the doctors won't say what's wrong with him for sure. The next day, his wife, Yulia, gets him transferred to a hospital in Germany. There, doctors test his blood and urine, and they find evidence of a famous Russian poison, Novichok. If the name sounds familiar... It's because it's also the poison that was used on former Russian double agent Sergei Skripal and his daughter, Yulia. Now with the Russian spy mystery, a father, former Russian spy, and his daughter are fighting for their lives this morning. Police in England believe they were poisoned and are... They were found passed out on a bench in the UK in 2018. The UK government blamed the poisoning on the Kremlin, who, of course, denied it. In a sense, Novichok has become the trademark toxin of the Russian security services. It's almost like a little stamp that says, love Putin. And this is something Putin really enjoys. That he's a boss of the group of, I don't know, ninjas or a mysterious guy who, who can just walk next to you and then in a couple of minutes you're dead. My team at CNN had been following the story closely. We watched Russian officials put forward a bewildering number of alternate nonsensical theories as to what had actually happened to Navalny. And then one day, my colleague, CNN producer Tim Lister, got a call from an investigative journalist called Christo Grozev. I called him and said, guess what? I may have discovered who poisoned Alexei Navalny. He said, get out of here, not possible. I said, yeah, I think it's true. So then I gave him the rundown of what I thought I had found. That's Christo. He works with an online investigative outlet called Bellingcat, and he'd investigated poisonings before. 
he knew he was on to something. He'd obtained some records online via the Russian black market. Thanks to corruption, it's pretty easy to get your hands on private data there, like cell phone records, flight manifests, passport numbers. Tim and another of my colleagues hopped on a plane to join him and look through it all. They holed up in an Airbnb. We had all kinds of charts and suspect boards on the walls. They started to compare the flight records of the FSB agents to Navalny's travel records. And we discovered, lo and behold, that these people, about six or seven of them, had traveled over the last four or five years to locations where Alexei Navalny had actually been on campaign trips. A total of 70 trips, they were always there. You can't chalk that down to a coincidence. I mean, you can have a coincidence three or four times, but not 70 times, essentially, right? Researching the background of these guys, it became clear that they weren't ordinary FSB agents. They were specialists, toxicologists, physicians, people who knew about poison. And then one day, Christo had a breakthrough. He found a cell phone ping from one of the FSB agents. Here's this guy, probably a highly trained FSB officer with decades of experience, who thought that he was probably turning on the phone just to look at some number that he needed for his other burner phone to call. But he didn't realize that his phone connected and transmitted a bit of data that placed him at a particular location. The ping put an FSB officer with training in poisons just 15 minutes from Navalny's hotel the night before he got sick. That was essentially the smoking gun that we had at the last minute to decide that we've closed the investigation. At this point, the race is on. We're worried that the Russians might discover our interest in flight manifests and cell phone records. But before we go public, we need to ask Navalny if he ever saw any of these FSB agents who were following him. Yeah, yeah. Um, Is everyone's cell phone on silent? That's the only crucial thing. We meet him in a small town in Germany, close to where he's recovering. It's a quiet, gray morning. Navalny turns up with a small entourage. For someone who's been in a coma after being poisoned with a nerve agent, he looks remarkably healthy. I just wanted to show you some photographs here and ask you if you if you recognize if you've ever seen any of the men um, in those photographs. No, uh, I, I, honestly, I feel um, I, I have very strange feeling when I'm watching at their faces, but no, you don't recognize. I don't recognize any of them. Would it surprise you to learn? that some of these men went on more than 30 trips with you over the course of three years? This is absolutely terrifying. I don't know if if terrifying is a good word. I think it's a pretty good word. We decide to travel to Moscow and confront the FSB team with everything we found. It's definitely a little risky, but it's a risk we feel we have to take. There's the... That's the building. Yeah. It's 7 a.m., but it's still dark outside and snowing. We're in a van in front of a grim Soviet apartment block on the outskirts of Moscow. This is the home of a man called Oleg Tayakin. I take a deep breath and get out of the car. I've been waiting for this moment a long time. 
So we're here now at the home of one of the FSB team, and we're going to go see if he has anything to say to us. My cameraman, Jeff Kell, is filming with a small camera attached to his iPhone, trying to be as inconspicuous as possible. He's also streaming live to CNN's headquarters in Atlanta. That way, if something goes wrong, if Oleg tries to grab the camera or something happens to us, at least the footage will be safe. My colleague Dasha Tarasova rings the doorbell and somehow convinces a stranger to buzz us up. Oleg's apartment is on the third floor. As we come up the stairs, I can see that his door is open. In moments like this, you're just like, okay, this is it. I step forward onto the landing with Jeff filming just behind me. Oleg and I look into each other's eyes and it's the weirdest moment because I've been studying his face for a month. And now here he is in real life, bald with that same birthmark by his nose, just like in the photographs. My name's Clarissa Ward. I work for CNN. Can I ask you a couple of questions? Before I can say much, he sees the iPhone and realizes we're filming. He closes the door so we can't see him anymore. But he leaves it open a crack, listening out of curiosity, I guess, until... Was it your team that poisoned Navalny, please? Do you have any comment? Hello? He doesn't seem to want to talk to us. He's not coming out. No, he's not coming We all look at each other and decide to go. We've pushed our luck enough for one day. We get into the car and head back to the Moscow bureau. My heart is still pounding with excitement. We had actually managed to get him on camera. Up next, a surprising confession. This is Tug of War. I'm Clarissa Ward. A few days after we published our story, Putin had his annual press conference. A local reporter asked him about what we found. Putin kind of laughed him off. He said it made sense the FSB would follow somebody like Navalny. That doesn't mean he needs to be poisoned. Who needs him anyway? If they wanted to poison him, they probably would have finished it. They would have finished the job. I.e., if they wanted to kill him, they would have. We were all expecting Putin's denial, but we also knew there was another piece of the story coming that would completely destroy the Kremlin's narrative. See, while we were visiting Oleg Tayakin in Moscow, Navalny and Christo Grozev had been calling some of the other agents on the team. Initially, they didn't have much luck. 
So they tried using a spoofing software that made it look like they were calling from the FSB headquarters. And they filmed the whole thing. Hello, Konstantin Borisovich. Navalny pretended to be a senior member of Russia's National Security Council. He said he was filing a report for his boss about the poisoning. He's impatient, he's on deadline, and he needs this guy's help. He wants to know, why is Navalny still alive? Why did the mission fail? They landed it, you understand, right? He flew, they landed, and so on. The odds were against us. That's what I think. Had he flown a bit longer, had they not landed so urgently, everything could have gone differently. The paramedics on the runway worked really quickly. Christo says this was the moment when everything shifted. We are barely containing our laughter because this is Alexei Navalny playing sort of FSB superior, and he's doing it pretty well. So the first thing is everybody's holding their mouths and trying not to laugh. Then we realize that the guy's beginning to spill the beans. And then we're holding our mouths for a different reason, not to exclaim and and to start shouting, oh my God, what's happening here? Okay, could you tell me, which clothing item did you focus on? Which of them theoretically posed the most risk? What do you mean by risk? Well, where could the maximum concentration be found? Well, the underpants. It's near the groin. The groin part of the underpants. Yes, the so-called fly piece. We've been working on this investigation for months, painstakingly going through mountains of paperwork, crunching data. And then this one careless guy admitted everything to Navalny himself. We still don't know everything, but now we already know quite a lot. And I apparently became the first person in history whose underpants were discussed at the Security Council of Russia, or wherever Putin plans his most important operations. The Kremlin still denies any involvement in Navalny's poisoning, but he insists that the order came all the way from the top. There are no doubts that you cannot perform operation of such a scale and they such, uh, for such a long period of time without order of Putin. After being poisoned with a toxic nerve agent, any sane person would put as much distance between themselves and Russia as humanly possible. But not Navalny. I will go back to Russia. You're aware of the risks of going back. Yes, but I'm a Russian politician, and I, especially now, when this actually crime is cracked, open, revealed, I, I understand the whole operation. I would never give Putin such a gift. Do you think they'll try to kill you again? <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> Navalny did go back to Russia last January. He didn't even make it past customs. A final kiss, a final hug with his wife, Yulia. And then opposition leader Alexei Navalny is led away by Russian security forces. Detained shortly after landing at Moscow's Sheremetyevo airport. Technically speaking, he was still on parole for that embezzlement charge he says is bogus. And so wasn't allowed to leave the country without checking in with his parole officer. It didn't matter to the Russian government that he'd been in a coma at the time. He was sentenced to three and a half years in a prison called Penal Colony Number 2. 
Not long after he arrived, he posted a photograph of himself with a shaved head on Instagram. In the caption, he wrote, I had no idea it was possible to arrange a real concentration camp 100 kilometers from Moscow. He hasn't given up. At one point, he even went on a hunger strike from prison. But what happened to him hangs over the head of every activist out there, like a threat. Things are changing, and now you feel hopeless and you feel scared. Natasha Zamorskaya, the campaign manager we heard from before, feels the difference. They can do anything. That's what we know now. The law doesn't work for everyone, not only for big figures like Navalny, but for everyone who is involved in activism. If Russia is brazen enough to poison Navalny, who on earth is safe? The Kremlin is cracking down now harder than ever, retaliating against Navalny's political organization and smaller opposition politicians too. Over the summer, Natasha was working on a campaign for a local politician in Murmansk, a city in the Northwest. We are followed all the time. You're waking up at night after any sound, you hear the random sound. And when I see a police officer, uh, my hands are starting to shake because I know that he can do anything he wants. Natasha says that political campaign was her last. And she says she's not the only one. Sometimes I feel tired and disappointed. During this year, I was asking myself, like, what am I doing here? Why do I keep living in this country? Of course, I will regret if I will cancel everything now, but still, I think it's too dangerous to continue. I wish I had a happier ending for you. I think what we're seeing here is autocracy perfected. The Russian fear machine is well-oiled. Vladimir Putin, the ex-KGB agent, knows how to pull all the levers. I'm proud that we helped to expose his lies and the FSB poison squad. But ultimately, I'm not sure Putin cares. He's the epitome of the 21st century autocrat. Bold, remorseless, and ready to take action. He's sending a note to his enemies. It's signed, Love Putin. Tug of War is a CNN audio original series production. Our executive producer is Megan Marcus, and our senior producer is Haley Thomas. Our podcast producer is Emily Liu. Our associate producers are Alex Stern, Nathan Miller, and Xavier Lopez. Story editing by Tim Lister. Mixing by Francisco Monroy. On the ground reporting by me, Tim Lister, Sebastian Shukla, Daria Tarasova, and Jeff Kell. Voice acting by Jackson Liu, Albert Huber, Harvey Kojan, and Mariah Humiston. With support from Matthew Chance, Zara Ullah, Miriam Annenberg, David Lindsay, Chip Grabo, Kelly Slade, Ashley Lusk, Lindsay Abrams, Rafina Ahmed, Lisa Namaro, and Courtney Coop. New episodes of Tug of War drop weekly, so do follow us wherever you get your podcasts, and please give us a rating and a review. It helps others find the show. I'm Clarissa Ward. Thanks for listening. 
When you work, you work next level. When you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.